But you can take out your notes. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to jump right into our series, As for Me and My House. And we're going to be talking about having the courage to truly live. And even when we grew up, we were, we were children who, I don't know if it was immaturity or courage or um, just naive, but w- didn't we do things kind of like what Pastor Marsha did with the, with the bikes? And, and we did things that uh, we shouldn't be alive today. I mean, we did things. I remember being on the top of my, the hood of a car at four years old while my dad would drive us home in, you know, in the neighborhood. And we would hang onto the backs of the cars with skateboards, seeing how fast we can go, not even thinking about cracking our heads. And we would just do whatever we needed to do. We would make swings at the highest that you can go. You'd try to um, ride the swing or uh, on the playground and see if you could flip over. You would go on the slide, metal slides, standing up with water and soap, seeing if you can slide down all the way. Sometimes you made it. Sometimes you didn't. Sometimes you went home crying. Sometimes you went to the hospital. But you had like this this urgency to do dangerous things. And then we grow up as adults and we think we can do the same thing. But we can't sometimes. You see a rope and you say, hey, I want to try and swing. But we forget when we were 5 and 10 years old, we weighed 30 pounds. Now we don't. So the tree breaks or the rope breaks and we don't, we're not the same anymore. Or we think we can ride a skateboard. And we used to ride it back in the day, way back in the day. It was black and white back then. But today we just can't. Or we try to have the courage to do so, but we just can't. And now we think about having the courage to truly live. It's more than just doing dangerous things. Because when we think about courage, we think about doing things that are dangerous. Doing things that are on the edge. But when it comes to the biblical viewpoint of courage, it's not about doing dangerous things. It's really about living the ways of God. Because we're going to need courage for that. In our families, when we make changes and adjustments, we're going to need courage for that. When we make changes because we know God now, how are our children going to respond? How are they going to react to the changes? And how are they going to adjust? How are we going to adjust as a married couple, as a family, as a, as, as a, a group of people in a community or in our workplace? How do, we, how do we make those adjustments when we say, God, I ask for courage to make these changes in my life because it's going to take courage to make the changes that God asks us to make. But sometimes we, we do things that cause us to kind of back away because maybe we've made a mistake or we've done something that uh, we're not, we know God is not pleased with or we make a mistake that other people see and they say, oh, that's, that's not good on your record. That's not good for your image. That's not good for you. And so we kind of back away and so we play it safe and so we never risk anymore and we never get back out there and, and, and live for God. We just say, okay, I'm just going to attend church and, and try to build myself back up and then start doing the things of God. The other week, we went to the beach and my two grandchildren, now one is five and one is three, took them out on the bodyboard and it was a bigger board so you know, they could both hang on. Well, we took off on the first wave, and they loved it. Took off on the second wave, and they flipped over. And so we got pounded. 
And they started panicking, and they had their vest on, their life vest. So I picked them up, put them back on the board. They wanted to go in, but their uncle said, no, we're going back out. And he has a little bit more weight than me and a little bit more stronger in the water than me. Well, stronger, period, than me. So he was with them on the board, and no wave could take him down. And so he was there with the two grandchildren, and they were crying, going back out. Oh, I don't want to go back out. I don't want to go back out. And, you know, we live in Hawaii, so too bad. Too bad. You're getting back on that wave because if they don't go back out, they will fear the ocean for the rest of their life. They will not ever want to do that again. And I thought about us as people that before we came to know Jesus Christ, we only knew so much. Our life was limited. But once we came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and in this relationship, now we're limitless in what we can do. And the capacity that God gave to us is limitless. He gives us strength to do all things according to Jesus Christ and the strength that He gives to us. So when it comes to making changes in our family, we're going to need godly courage. See, we're going to need godly courage to do the things that He asks us to do because we don't need courage to do the things we can do. We don't need courage for the things we can do on our own. We don't need courage if we already have the ability to do certain things. But if the Lord says, okay, you're going to sing up here for me, but I don't want to. I know how to sing, but I'm afraid to do so. But that's what I'm calling you to do. Well, I'm going to need your courage. Well, I'm asking you as a husband to die to self. Oh, I don't know if I can do that because I'm right. Well, you're going to need courage then to die to self. See, we don't need courage to do things that we normally would, would do as human beings. We can just kind of muster up the energy and, and almost like self-courage and the guts to do something. But when it comes to doing the things of God, we're going to need His courage. See, I guess our courage or self-courage it, it kind of like makes us look good. We can do it ourselves and it's like, wow, great job. You did a great job. Wow, well done. But when we ask for godly courage and we make a choice to follow the ways of God, then when someone sees us making a decision, they're not going to say, wow, hey, well done. They're going to say, wow, didn't God do an amazing thing in your life? They're going to say, wow, that's only possible through God. And you're going to say that too. You're going to say, there's no way I could have done this without God. See, that's the difference between self-courage and godly courage. And if we're going to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, we're going to need godly courage. Let's look at our notes. You can take that out. And Joshua, our, our centerpiece scripture for this series that we're going through, comes out of Joshua chapter 24, verses 13 through 15. And what this scripture represents is the people of God going into the promised land. And now Joshua has to make a decision for the people as well as have the people make a decision for themselves and their family. And so Joshua reminds them what the Lord says, that I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now therefore... Fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your, which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river 
or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Let's read this together. Ready? Go. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yeah, that's an amazing statement that Joshua made. Probably one of the, the greatest statements that he has made for the people of Israel, especially for us in our world today, living as uh, people who follow Jesus Christ. That as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, it's going to take courage to make that statement and live by that statement. It's going to take courage to truly live, not just exist. And we're going to look at three key principles that we can glean from in what Joshua is saying in this statement. And the first is this, that we're going to lead from my knees in prayer. Wait a minute. What, what do you mean lead from my knees in prayer? How, how, how do I do that? What, is, what does that mean? Because I know about prayer, but what does me what is kneeling all about? Why do I have to kneel? And how do I lead kneeling in prayer? Well, anytime you kneel, it's a sign of humility, homage. It's a sign of respect and honor. I mean, imagine, husbands, if your wives came home and they did this to you. Hello, my liege. And they bowed before you. First of all, I don't think that will happen, but wouldn't that just speak something? First of all, you say, what you like? You know, you like shopping. You like, go shopping. What you need? But it, I mean, it would throw you off, wouldn't it? Or wives, if your husband came home and he came to you and said, how are you doing, my honey? Good to see you. And they bow before you. Maybe they already do that. And maybe you say, hey, bow to me. It would, it would mean something. And we would probably, you know, not be used to it. But when we kneel before God, it speaks something to him. Now, you may not do it here in church, or you may do it in church. You may do it at home, and the Bible says do it in your closet or behind closed doors, and you kneel before God. Some of us, maybe, you know, maybe our legs are sore, so we don't kneel, but you can bow before God. Someone once said it this way, that a Christian can see a lot further on his knees, on their knees, than a philosopher can see on their tiptoes. That a Christian can see a lot further on their knees than a philosopher can on their tiptoes. Because you're not seeing with your physical eyes or with your spirit. You're seeing by the spirit of the living God. You're saying to the Lord, I'm kneeling before you, and here's my prayer. And some of us will pray to God, but we never listen to God. And part of praying to God is saying, what are you saying not necessarily, here's what I want. It's, Lord, okay, here's my prayer. Here's my petition to you. I'm worried about some things, but what are you saying to me? In fact, Philippians 4, in your notes, it tells us, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses human understanding or all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, our prayers, when we pray to God, it's not in ourselves. Our hearts aren't guarded because of our prayer. Our minds aren't guarded because of our prayer. It's guarded in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Your prayers do something. And when you say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, you lead on your knees through prayer. In fact, we have a, a prayer ministry not just during services that you can ask for prayer, but on Wednesday mornings. And if you love praying for people, you just have a passion to pray for people, then you can join them at 9.30 every Wednesday. 
We have men and women who pray over the church, over individuals, over our prayer requests. They pray over the staff and leadership. And so if you want to join them, you can do so. Just show up 9.30 on Wednesday morning, and they pray. They pray for people. Some, sometimes people got to go to work, so they'll pray for half an hour. Some will stay till 11 or beyond. But if you have that passion, then go and see them. We're, we're a praying community. Everything should start with prayer. We need to get before the Lord. Otherwise, isn't it true that when we start our day, we just start frantic? We didn't even eat breakfast. We just get up and go, or we buy these breakfast bars, and then we just go, or we go through drive through or we just drink a shake, and, and uh, on the go, we don't sit down for breakfast anymore. We don't have that time to do so, much less pray. And sometimes we pray on the way. We're like, Lord Jesus, please, no traffic, no traffic, please, no traffic, no traffic, please. I'm late for work, please, Lord, no traffic, no cops, no cops, no cops. So we're praying, but kind of like a different prayer. But Philippians tells us, just be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. Just go to God. Go to God, but listen to what he's saying. In fact, Joshua had the ability to see further down the road for his family because he was always before God. He made it a point to pray to God. And when he would kneel before God, when he would pray to God, it wasn't about what can I get, Lord, or I'm stuck in this situation. Joshua would fall before God, fall face down before God, and yes, talk to God, but also say, God, what, what, is, what are you saying to your servant? What are you saying to me? It was the first big battle that Joshua had to lead the people into to take over the promised land of a city named Jericho. And it was a formidable city. It was a walled city. And no one could go in and out. It was just that formidable. It was that difficult to get in or out. It was that strong of a city. And so they prayed. And God said, you march around this building, uh, march around this city for seven days, but you shall not speak. And do that for six days. On the seventh day, you march around seven times and then blow the trumpet and you shout and when they did, the walls fell down flat. And they knew that it happened as a result of prayer. Well, before that took place, Joshua finds himself standing opposite of this man. And so he asked this man, he says, hang on, are you for us or are you against us? And the man had his sword drawn. So Joshua, of course, being a warrior, is thinking, wait a minute, if you have your sword drawn... You, you better be for us. If not, we're going to take you out. Listen to what this man says in Joshua 5.14. Here's his answer. He said, no. Rather, I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And what did Joshua do? Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down. And then he said this. He said to him, what has my Lord to say to his servant? What is, what, what, is, what is my Lord saying to his servant? Lord, what are you saying to me? I don't know about you, but I would have I probably bowed down and said, Lord, can you, can you help me in this situation? I don't know this guy. I don't know what's happening. Uh, and we're going to go into battle. So, Lord, give us the strength. Give us the energy so that we can take out these guys in Jericho. Give us the wisdom so that we can do the battle. But Joshua, Joshua listened and he says, what has my Lord have to say to his servant? He was quick to kneel before the Lord and receive instruction 
because he knew that the battle he was going to face was not going to be alone. He knew he needed God. And many of the battles we face, we know we need God. But not just needing God, we need to hear what God is saying. That's why it's important when we get on our knees and we pray that we do that through His Word, with our devotions. We seek His face and we ask Him and He answers us. And He'll answer us in His Word. Sometimes it'll be in prayer. But Joshua's courage didn't come from his own abilities. It came from his God because of his willingness to humble himself before his mighty God. He could kneel before God. He wasn't afraid of that. He wasn't, he wasn't too prideful to say, oh, I can kneel before you. He knew where his strength was going to come from. He knew where his courage needed to come from. In fact, there was another battle after Jericho that they had to take over another city called Ai. And before they took over that city, he sent out spies and he said, go spy out the land and see, see what we need, see what's, what is necessary for this battle. Well, the spies go and they see some things that they need to do. They come back and they say, you know what, Joshua, we can take these guys out. We can take them out. There's only like, we only need what, two, 3,000 people. We don't have to send out the entire army. Just send out just the, the best of the best. Even 3,000 would be fine. Joshua goes, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we took out Jericho with these. We took them out. These guys, we, we wouldn't even need the whole entire army. Just send about 3,000. So Joshua says, okay. Well, he sends out these 3,000 men to take out Ai. Next thing you know, these 3,000 men are running from that city and from those warriors. And 36 of Joshua's men die in battle. And so they flee from that place because Joshua did something different. He relied more on his abilities and his army than he did his Lord. And he forgot about that. Isn't it easy for us to forget about God when we accomplish something great for God? Or when God pulls through? When we pray to God and God says, okay, you're going to take out this city. I'm going to help you with this. I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to do well in your, your finances. I'm going to bring you out of debt. I'm going to bring you to a better place uh, with your family. I'm going to bring you back stronger. In your marriage, you're going to become a, a, a tighter uh, married couple. Uh, in your relationships, it's going to get stronger uh, with, this, with this battle that you're going through, with paperwork, court case, and whatever it is. I'm going to bring you through. And then the moment the battle is won, the moment we got the victory, say, yes, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then we forget about God. We don't do the things we used to do on our knees, praying to God, bringing our family together, praying to Him and seeking His face, getting into His Word. Why? Because we got it down. We got the victory already. Only to forget that there are always battles up ahead. There's going to be another battle that we're going to face, that we're going to have another battle that we're going to face. Listen very carefully. In the kingdom of God, you are always taking over the promised land. You never arrive because God is taking you from glory to glory to glory. Once you think everything is good, good, that's great. But stay with God. Stay close to him. Stay on your knees before him because another battle is coming up. And then when that happened, look at what Joshua did in Joshua 7 verse 6. After all of that, the men were defeated. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. Both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. You know why they tore their clothes 
It was just an, an external way of showing what was happening on the inside. That they were going through such emotional grief that they just tore their clothes. It's not some superhero kind of thing. It's not some Hulk kind of thing. It's this, I'm emotionally spent. What a dumb decision. I feel horrible. And so they would tear their clothes. At the same time, it's not like clothes that we have. You know, easy, just buttons pop off and then we're fine. Or, or mass-produced clothing. They had their clothes not mass-produced. Some of them produced it themselves. So the clothing that they had was expensive to them. And so when people would see them tearing their clothes, oh boy, that's an expensive clothing attire that they have, and they see them tearing it, they can see how, how much this person is suffering in grief. If it's just some cheap shirt, ah, no big deal. But if it's some expensive shirt, wow, that, he's suffering from some amazing grief that's going on on the inside. And so when they tore their clothes, it was an expression of the grief that they faced the, the grief that they were feeling, the emotions that they were feeling. Because the more self you put on, the more you pay in the end. And Joshua had a lot of self included in this decision to take out AI. We don't have to send that much people. We got it. We got it. Too much self. And the more self we put on, the more we pay. Remember when Yogurt Land first came out? Everybody went to Yogurt Land. It's like, you got to go to Yogurt Land. You gotta. So we went to Yogurt Land, and we all went. We stood in line for hours, and then we got the biggest you know, jug. It's like we were, we were starving for yogurt. And so we'd get the jar, the, the big container, and we, we'd put it under, oh, what flavor, what flavor. You have all these flavors. I like them all. But you got to calm down. This is yogurt. So you have to pick one. And so you just stand there, and you just, oh, yeah. And you try to get every single nook and cranny in there, and you're, you're holding it, and you, you take a long time because you're standing in line for days. So I'm going to get my worth. And so you're making the yogurt, and everybody's waiting for you. You're like, you got to hang on because I was waiting too, but I make myself a lot of yogurt. And if anything, I can pack them up and take them home, Ziploc bag, whatever I got to do. And so you're, you're putting the yogurt, and you fill it up, and you're like, oh, perfect. And then you come to the counter, and you have all of these goodies Things that we normally don't eat. We don't eat candy. But if we sprinkle it, it's not really candy. So we sprinkle it on. We put gummy bears, gummy worms, uh, just gum. And we put all of these things on it, all the peanuts and, and morsels. Pineapple, ah, throw pineapple. So you pack it on. Then you put it on the scale. That would be $80. $80? What? Well, we go by weight. Well, nobody told me that. I thought it was like $1.50. No, it's not drive through McDonald's. This is an actual yogurt that you have put on this thing. So you're paying for this. And what we learn is the more you put on, the more you pay. So now we go yogurt, and it's like, shh. Uh, take one cookie. That'll be 53 cents. Yes. And because the less you put on, the less you pay. So if you think of self, the more we put on, the more we pay. And we may think of self as, oh, yeah, I can do this for me. I can do this for me. I can do this. But in the end, you pay because you've forgotten about God. We've forgotten what the Lord is able to do in and through us. And sometimes we're so busy in our life that we forget that as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And it becomes self. That's why when we pray on our knees, it's not about us. It's about what God is doing and us hearing from him and saying, Lord, what are you saying to your servant? What do you have for me? 
See, courage, self-courage says how, how good I can look. Godly courage says how good you can look. That people would see our good works and glorify you in heaven. Get on your knees before God because we're going to have to, number two, face my fears with the Lord. And that's, that's great news. That we face our fears with the Lord. We, we're not in this life by ourselves. And if you've been feeling alone and if you've been feeling like, boy, I don't, I, don't, I don't sense God that he's near me. Oh, he is near you. He is with you. The Bible clearly tells us that he's not going to leave us nor forsake us. So you can face your fears, but you face them with the Lord. And in order for you and I to take over some promised lands that God has for our families and our lives, we must remember that the Lord is with us. Even before they took over the promised land, Moses, who was Joshua's leader, sent out 12 spies. Remember that? He sent out 12 spies to spy out the promised land to give a report. Ten came back and says, no can. Got giants in the land. They're going to wipe us out. Two came back and said, yes, we can. We come in the name of the Lord. You know who those two people were? Joshua and Caleb. These two people, they came back and they said, no, we can do this. Why? Because God is with us. Numbers chapter 14, verses 6 through 9. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. In other words, they were in grief saying, what? how can you guys say this? We can do this. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. See, they understood that he will bring us into this land. Therefore, do not fear. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them because they knew that God was with them. And when there are changes that you're trying to make in your life and family, it's going to be the Lord and his wisdom, not yours. So don't fear following the ways of God. You may have all of these thoughts like, boy, well, what are my friends going to think? What is my family going to think? What is my spouse going to think? What are, what are people going to think? What if I start making changes for my life? Do I lose friends? Do, do I lose family members? Do people look at me as a hypocrite? What if I start making these changes? I'd say start with the Lord because he's the one that's going to be with you. Whatever he says, whatever changes that need to be made, go with the courage of God, not the fear of man. Because then the changes that are being made in our lives is made because we are sure of God, not unsure of our circumstances or surroundings. I remember when we were first uh, making some changes in our home. You know, we watched a lot of TV and, and movies and, and all of that. And so when we were saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, we got rid of so many different types of movies and and uh, even my children, uh, when they had certain movies, uh, they were under 13, so some of the movies were not appropriate for them. And so we just got rid of movies. But there was one movie that I really liked. And while we were getting rid of all of these movies, these DVDs, uh, one of my sons said, oh, so we're getting rid of that one too, yeah, Daddy? I said, no, that's my movie. 
They said, yeah, but that, that, one, that one has um, swearing like this other one that you told us to throw away. And I said, yeah. He said, okay, so you're throwing away that one too? I mean, what do I tell my children? I'm saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So, you know these DVDs? Not good for you. I'm going to throw them away. Oh, okay. Yours too, Daddy? No, not mine. <laughs> but yours. What does that speak to them? So, uh, you, you, you need courage to make those decisions. So, we just got rid of them. And then, when we make those decisions, we're making it based on something we're looking forward to in the future. It's not about making that decision today. It's about what's going to happen in the future. And so even dinner time, when we'd sit at the dinner table, we'd say, okay, we're going to pray, and we're turning off the TV. No electronics, nothing at the dinner table. It's just us. Oh, what are we going to do? We're going to talk. Talk. About what? Well, that's what we're going to find out. How are you doing in school? Good. How was your day? Good. How was practice? Good. Well, at least I know it's good. So how was work today? Terrible. Let's not talk to you then. How was practice? It was good. But you sit around the dinner table with a purpose to connect with your family. And when we made that decision, it was, it was, it was difficult to a point. But it was well needed. It was well needed. The best way to know about your children, we would think, is Facebook. Because sometimes we do, we kind of scroll and we go to their friends and we kind of spy out the land. We'd say, hey, where he was? Hey, I see them in the background. The best way to know about your children is face-to-face. That's the best way. Because isn't it true, parents, that when we ask our children a question, we know when they're lying. They have that certain look. They have that certain, you know, twitch in their body. They look away. They look down. They stutter. They try to, uh, uh, uh. So where were you yesterday? I was at the park. (laughs) Wow. Took a lot of effort. (laughs) And so when you're face-to-face, there's a connection that can happen. Studies show that when you eat dinner together as a family and your children are there, they are, your children, are 20% likely to get into some major mishaps, troubles, drugs, alcohol, just 20% of them, versus those who don't eat dinner together, it rises up to 60%. Now there's a 60% chance that our children will go astray. In the past 15, 20 years, furniture companies and major corporations have seen a decline in dinner set or dinette set tables. They saw a decline Because families are no longer eating dinner together, and they don't value that anymore. For some of us, maybe in our homes, our dinner tables are cluttered with papers and and cluttered with bills, and and all the chargers are on it. You have stuff all over the table. Some of you are laughing right now because you're like, "Ah, how do you know? You took a picture of my, oh, my husband told you, right? No, that's how it is. Because we come home, we throw everything on the dinner table because it's right there, and then there's no place to eat dinner. Where does everybody go? Wherever there's room. So our children go to their rooms. Families go to the couch. We turn on the TV, and we all sit in front of everything else but each other. You go to a restaurant, what do you see families doing? (laughs) Watch this. (laughs) Funny, huh? (laughs) 
Who are you texting? Who are you texting me? What you said? Oh, I never get them yet. Hey, you saw this one. The kind so and so and post this. Yeah. Who that? I don't know. Friend them. Nah. Nah, delete. For a solid hour. Now, it may seem funny, and it, it is to some degree, and it may seem like, oh, social media is the way we connect, but really, think about that's an oxymoron. Not the person, the term. Social media. Social media. You don't socialize through media. You, it should be called watch media. You just watch because that's what we do. We really don't socialize. We can, but it cuts itself short to a certain degree. Now, I'm not saying anything bad about it, but there is a balance, isn't there? That when we're with our families, that's our family time. At the dinner table, that's our dinner time. It's interesting that we don't even eat breakfast as a family anymore. There's no time for that. Why? Because the children have school. We got to go to work. So we just eat something real quick or we just make the kids cereal while we're getting ready and we just don't have that time anymore. We don't have that. And we value it, but only to a certain degree if we have time. So here's the challenge. And this is a good, a good challenge. And some of us need to be challenged in this. Find a time of the week, at least one to start off with, that you eat dinner together on the table with no electronics Nothing else except the food and people and talk. You're going to talk to each other and say things and ask not yes and no questions like how was school today, good or not good. You can say, hey, tell me about school. Tell me about what happened in school. Tell me about your friends. Who are you hanging around with? Tell me about work, what's happening at work. And if it's bad, okay, let's not talk about work. Okay, tell me about what we did this past weekend. Talk about memories. Talk about things you used to do. Plan things. Because it's going to happen at the dinner table. It's not going to happen on the fly. Next thing you know, your children are all grown up, and then you're trying to rewind the tape and saying, oh, can you fix my child? Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? It all could have been taken care of at the dinner table. Pretty interesting. We were watching this one program called Hoarders. Right. Some of you watched that before. Some of you are saying, I don't watch that because that's me. So I don't want to watch that. In this program, you have people who have an actual compulsive behavior to keep things. And they hoard things. It's an actual disease that they keep things and they will hoard things. And they have a, they have a, a, a behavioral problem. And some of them, they don't know it. They don't see it. They don't want to admit to it. They just say, no, I just like stuff. And this is good stuff. I can sell it. How long did you have it? 30 years. Oh, are you going to use it? Yeah, I'm going to clean it up. I'm going to clean it up, polish it up. I'm going to sell it. Okay, when are you going to do that? Not tomorrow. 30 years later, hey, now it's worth more in value. Why don't you do something with it? Yeah, I'll, I'll get to it. We were watching this program, and this lady had, a, had stuff from floor to ceiling of just stuff. And thank God you, it's not smell-o-vision. Because they're in there with masks and everything. They're saying it just smells horrible. But they have these little paths that go to the kitchen, go to the room, to the restroom. But everything else is filled up. So they came into this woman's house. And here was the question the host asked this woman. And the question was this. 
how do you want your home to feel? And the woman's name was Carol. So Carol said, my biggest dream? My biggest dream is to sit together as a family and eat dinner. And I thought, wait a minute. That's your biggest dream? I thought your biggest dream was to clean the house. You know, get rid of this stuff. The biggest dream is to get a better home. The biggest dream is to get your family back. Your biggest dream is to sit down at the dinner table and eat together? And that was her dream. And I thought about that. I thought that's probably, that probably should be all of our dreams, to find that time to sit down and eat dinner together. Now, some of us can eat in five minutes. Some of us take 15 minutes. But schedule an hour or so to sit at the dinner table and then do things together. Help each other clean up. It's interesting that every major event in the life of Jesus was around food. Communion was around the dinner table. The wedding in Cana when he turned water into wine, his first miracle was around food, the dinner table. When Jesus was in the home of Simon, the Pharisee, a Simeon, I forget his name, but he was at the home of a Pharisee where we did this painting on, uh, you guys can't see it, but it was the woman who broke the alabaster box of perfume. Jesus was invited to his home for dinner. See, things happen around the dinner table. And I don't, I don't see it as a coincidence that in the, the 23rd Psalm that, that the shepherd psalm would say that I prepare a table before my enemies. I prepare a table. Then in the kingdom of God, we will sit with Jesus and dine with him. Remember the book of Revelation says that if, if I'm at the door and I'm knocking, if anyone lets me in, I will come in and sit and dine with him. But since then, the dinner table has been devalued. We don't see it as that anymore. Now it's filled with clutter, not communication. It's filled with junk and not where we come together as family. It may take some time. It may take some courage. But try that and see what God does through that season. And then here's the final thing, to build memories. Build memories. And some of us do that already. We build memories. We spend time with our children. Every year we go camping or, or some of you, every year that you go camping is in a hotel and that's your camping and that's fine. But you do that with your family and that's like a tradition that you do. You build memories around Christmas or Thanksgiving and the family comes together. But memories that your children would remember, your family would remember. Uh, memories, uh, in fact, when I first met Heidi, uh, one of the memories that I have that has carried on into our life today was everybody did something when they had dinner. Now, we didn't have much when it came to dinner. My mom would make something simple. When I went to Heidi's house, you know, they, she had mom and dad and then their four children. And when her dad would cook because he loved cooking, he would cook. And I would see how much he cooked, and I'm thinking, this is, I can, this is, can feed my family for a week? But that's how they ate because they had four of them. And so... Everyone had a role. Someone would set the table. Someone would bring the food. Then when we were done, someone would clean up. 
Someone would wash the dishes. And someone would put away the dishes. And when I went to Heidi's house, I learned this, that her mom would have us scrub the sink first with Comet, scrub the sink, wash it down, wash the dishes, put the dishes in the rack, wipe the dishes, put the dishes away, wipe down the sink, put away the dish rack, put everything away like brand new. And that's, that's I, I didn't learn that in my home. I learned that in her home. My house was, you eat, you pow, you leave them, you go. And we played outside. My mom was a single parent. Amazing how she raised us. And then once in a while, we would chip in. The memory I have is today doing the same thing. That when we wash dishes, well, I, I don't wipe them all the time, but it's in me now not to have dishes in the sink. It's just a memory that I have. And when I scrub the sink or when I smell Comet, I think of Heidi's mom. It's not a bad memory. She put a geese, so everything was clean. Everything from beginning to end was just clean. And that's a memory of ours. When Heidi and I were uh, trying to make some adjustments with our finances, we had to sell our car, and we had to get a different car. And so we had this kind of like a rundown car that couldn't even go to Kona, couldn't go uphill. And one day we went to Volcano, and we were just like climbing up the hill. And it wasn't happening so we had to pull over, and our kids was like, hey, we should paddle. Why don't we get out and run? You know, they're, they're, but it's a memory because we weren't, we weren't trying to chase after finances. We thought, wait a minute, we got to get together as family, spending too much time at work, too much time away from the house. We got to spend time together. And so instead of making a lot of money, we got to make a life and build memories together. Our children remember those times. So now that when we pass cars that are on the side of the road struggling, we're not saying, get off the side. We're like, hey, I remember that. I remember that. Being in the car, all the fumes in the car. Roll down the window. Can I breathe? It's just a memory. We had a car that the, the fan wasn't working, so it would overheat. So I had to rig up a wire that would go to a toggle switch to the battery. So when I got in my car, turned on the car, I had to flip on the fan. It was a memory. My kids laugh about it. I laugh about it, but it was a genius way to make sure our car did not overheat. And one time I forgot to turn off the fan and the car battery died out. But oh, we laugh now. What a memory. But the memory is there not just for laughs or wow, that was funny. It was a sacrifice. The reason why we had that car is because we made a sacrifice so that we could live. No sense chase the, the money and chase the position if my family is falling apart. It is well said that no amount of success in the marketplace will ever make up for failure at home. And so we made that decision. It took courage. We had to build memories. It took a lot of time to do that. When Joshua was leading the people into the promised land, they had to cross the Jordan River. And in order to do that, God had to stop the waters and then when they did that, God says, okay, go take some stones out of the Jordan River that, that, where it's dry. Take these stones out, and then you build yourself a, memor a memorial so that when your children see that, they're going to ask you questions. Joshua 4, verses 6 and 7, the Lord said, let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel. 
See, this memorial stones that they made was so that they could remember what the Lord did. And for some of us, when we build memories with our children, you build them with the reason that when you're making these changes and adjustments because you're saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, one day your children will ask, Dad, why come we started praying at the dinner table? You can say, you know why? Because the Lord was faithful to us to provide. We had nothing, and the Lord provided. Hey, Dad, why do you and Mom go out on date nights? Because our marriage wasn't doing well, and so we had to make a statement in our marriage to say we're going to continuously date one another so we become strong in the Lord. Hey, Dad, how come, how come we don't do this anymore? And how come you don't listen to this type of music? Well, because God was cleaning my heart, and so I made a statement to say I'm going to serve the Lord. So you build memories and a memorial stone so when they ask, you can give glory to God. This is why I have this memorial stone. This is why we made this decision. And sometimes you won't see the bigger picture, but you got to keep that in mind that God is doing something with it. At a time when I didn't have too much time with my children, I had to figure out ways. How am I going to spend time with them? How is that going to work? And one of the key moments that I found was before bedtime. Because I had two boys, and they were six years apart. And one had to sleep earlier than the other, so I'd play with one and then the other, or sometimes together. And then one would go to bed, and then I would spend time with the other. But we, when I would tuck them in, I found that that was a great time, that at least I can tuck them in. Even though we may have a busy day, and we're trying to do the, you know, the practices and drop-offs and pickups and school or homework and all of that, at least we had that time. And so when I would tuck them in, they would say, Dad, tell us stories. Tell us stories about you growing up. And so I would. I would tell them stories. And after a while, I thought, these aren't great stories. These are like bad things I used to do. So I said, hey, guys, this is before I knew Jesus. So junk those stories. And so we made up a story, and it's called The Adventures of Helicopter Jim. And so when I would tuck them in and tell them these stories, it was more on the side of kind of weaving in our life versus just telling stories. So we would tell, kind of weave in what we, would be, uh, what we would grow up as or grow up with, and then we would weave these stories through it. And then because I only had so much time, they had to go to sleep, it only had to be like two or three minutes, sometimes five minutes. And then I would end the night saying, and then that would be the next adventure of Helicopter Jim. They'd be like, oh, come on, Dad. I said, no, go to sleep. Tomorrow we'll continue on. Well, as the years went by, they grew up, so... You don't tuck in a 15-year-old, do you? Well, sometimes you do. But the stories kind of slowed down until one of my children and both of them said, why don't you just put this in a book? And then we did. And we actually have it in our bookstore, and it's just part one. Some of you guys already went through it. But I didn't know it would come to that. But it's a memory that we built with our children. And it's not the book in itself it was because I asked the Lord, what, how do I spend time with my children? I have no time. And he says, here's the memory that you're going to build. In fact, one of my son's friends came to church on Wednesday night. And he said, you remember the stories you used to tell us when we were growing up? Because sometimes they slept over or we had like a youth retreat or something. And I'm telling my kids these stories. They're there too. So they kind of grew up listening to it. He said, I heard you put it in a book. Can I get one? And I said, sure. And he says, I want to read it to my little sister. And I thought, that's so cool. Now he's going to build a memory with his sister. See, the memories that you build with your family, with your children, 
is bigger than the actual memorial. It's bigger than the memory. Because God is not just making memories. He's doing this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, the Lord says this. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. It's you that he's building up. It's no longer in the Old Testament where it's a memorial stone. You are the memorial stone. You're the one that God is building up so that you can say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And when you say that, he will give you the courage to truly live. See, knowledge is looking at the tunnels in front of you, not knowing what's on the other side of it. But knowledge says, okay, i got to take one of these tunnels. Okay, I know that's the one to take. Wisdom is taking that tunnel. Courage is going through that tunnel and coming out on the other side regardless of how difficult it was going through it. And some of us are faced with some tunnels. Some of us are in the middle of it. We don't see the light yet. It's still dark. And you're going to need courage. And God will provide that. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God for that kind of godly courage to face the fears that we have or maybe some battles that will be coming up. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Heavenly Father, we're, we're either in the beginning of a tunnel, in the middle of it, or maybe we're coming through. Maybe we have come through it, and maybe there are battles up ahead that we have yet to face, and we don't know about them yet. And so right now, we're just asking for this godly courage, courage that can only come from you. It's not, it's not trying to think positive or, or conjure up some energy from within or trying to just think good thoughts, but it's actually courage that comes from you to make the decisions that we need to make and to follow through with it, to make the changes that we need to make in our families, that when we say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, we're going to need courage to do that. It's not just living and existing. It is truly living, and we're going to need your courage for that. And so whatever we're facing, help us to remember that we face these fears with you, that we're going to get on our knees before you and lead on our knees through prayer so that in the end we can know that we're building memories and it's not just about the memory itself but that you're making us these living stones, these living stones of remembrance that one day our children will ask us questions about why this or why that. Why did you say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? And then we can give them the answer. But we will not have an answer, Lord, unless we're courageous enough to live out that, that statement, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we thank you, Lord, in advance for giving us the courage to truly live. May we hear your voice from this day on out as we make those adjustments. In Jesus' precious name we pray, and we all said, amen.